Hello and welcome back to Unlocking the Masculine. I'm your host, Liam Withers, and guys, I just need to say straight away, thank you to each and every one of you who listened to the first episode. I was so blown away by the response to it all, and it truly means the world to me for each and every one of you taking the time to listen. Now, on Instagram last week, I brought up the first topic that I'm going to be discussing over the next several weeks. And that's relationships. I believe in a man's life, the relationships that he forms are fundamental to the quality of life that he's going to live. Who you spend time with, who you surround yourself with is crucial. Now, there's no denying it or downplaying that fact that each relationship formed will either give or take from you and your life. Now, for me, The most important relationship and the one that I'm going to be discussing today is the relationship that we have with ourselves. For me personally, I believe the relationship you have with yourself is the single most important relationship that you'll ever have. It's more important than friends, even more important than your partner or your family. Without having and developing a relationship with yourself, your world, your happiness, it all depends on external sources or factors. If everyone on earth suddenly disappeared and only you remained, what would you do? If your happiness, your love, your joy all came from external factors, what then? For a man to truly love the world, he must first love the world inside of his mind because it all starts and ends with you. Now today I'll be embarking on a journey of developing a relationship with myself This particular podcast will be split into two to three parts. Now, just to level with you guys, reflecting back on this journey, particularly when I was younger, has actually been quite emotionally hard. I was finding myself being really stressed. My body would start going into some form of shock. It's been truly amazing how much I've uncovered from reflecting back from my childhood, thinking about the coping mechanisms that I've used to get by. And I'm going to split it into two, three parts. That way I can remain present and really delve deep into how I've developed a relationship with myself. Now, growing up, I was a very sensitive and a very shy kid. Now, due to this It made me very susceptible to being bullied. In year five, in particular, I was going through peak puberty. I was what you would call a man-child. I had pubic hair, had underarm hair, I had a deep voice, and I also sweated a lot. I don't know why, but during puberty, a slight rise in temperature or me walking slightly fast, it would be like I've just had a bucket thrown over my head, right? I was a very sweaty dude. And so naturally, I was called stinky. Now, the reaction that the bullies got was obviously good enough that that name stuck around, and for the whole of Year 5, that's what I was known as, constantly. This made me very insecure. 
I would constantly be checking if I smelt to the point where I would be asking myself, do you smell? Can someone smell you? Like, why don't you like just subtly do it so no one knows? And, you know, if someone caught me doing it, they would call me smelly, right? So I would just be really conscious of it. So much so that I would spray so much underarm deodorant under my arms that I dead set reckon you could do pest control with how fumigated my pits were. You brought that into your house, every insect would die. <laughs> and it was, it was like that because I was so self-conscious. You know, my internal voice essentially started out in life as scanning for danger and repeating the criticisms that I was given. You know, you stink. Why do you stink? Yeah, that person can smell you stinking. Like, how good is that? It was just this constant episode every single day of me worrying about what others thought and if others could smell me. Now, when I moved into year six, I was very fortunate that the bullies had left. And as some relief, I was, you know, year six, the king of the school. So I had a year off. During that period of time, it's kind of funny, but I went to the doctors because I had developed gynecomastia and I was convinced that I had breast cancer. And so I went to the doctor. I said, doctor, have I got breast cancer? Why is my nipple so hard? And she laughed at me. She's like, it's okay. You've just... You just got puberty. I didn't realize that puberty involved feeling like your nipple had a rock underneath it, but apparently it did. Now, moving into year seven, I changed schools. And not only was I six foot tall, but I developed cystic acne as well. Just my luck. And so naturally, I was called ugly, alien, and freak. I'd gone from being bullied about being stinky by all the year six boys to being called ugly, freak, and an alien by all the really pretty girls in year seven. For me, this really cemented my insecurities that I had about how I looked and what others thought of me. My head was constantly wondering what people thought about me. And I really thought that all of my self-worth was reliant on what someone else thought of me. And if they thought I was one, not smelly, and two, good looking. And so I fixated on my looks. I accidentally plucked my eyebrow way too far on one side because someone said I had a monobrow. I would constantly be checking my hair, constantly checking my underarms. I was just anxious all the time about how I looked and what others thought of me. My mum had realised that I was struggling a lot. It was quite obvious just from how sad and how depressed I was all the time. And so she introduced me around year six and year seven to journaling. You know, at that point in life, it's very hard to express how you feel like you don't even know how to feel you're discovering it you're figuring things out you know my first start to 
young adulthood and adolescence was being constantly told that I was not enough. You know, it didn't help that my home life as well was in a way chaotic. You know, my parents, nothing to take away from them. They did an amazing job raising me, but they had their own struggles. And so did my sister as well. You know, through that period when I was about 11 till 13 years old, I kept most of it in internally. I didn't want to burden my family. I didn't want to burden anyone. I just kept it in, didn't know what was happening. And to be honest, was very sad. You know, thinking back, it's quite sad to think that a 11 to 13 year old would constantly ask himself, is this what life is like? Is life worth it? You know, why is my life like this? Why are people like this to me? Through the journaling, I was able to put pen to paper on how I felt. It was like I could see my pain, my troubles through a third person view, just so then I wouldn't have to feel it so much deeply inside. Now, as I was in music, I loved music. I played the saxophone from, I think I was about 10 years old. I was <laughs> what you would call, I guess, a band geek. I thought that by playing the saxophone, that it would help me get girls. <laughs> Don't know why, but I thought, you know, Lisa Simpson plays it, so maybe that'll help me in the girl department. And how far was I from the truth there, but <laughs> got to play an instrument, so that was pretty cool. And I found that naturally for me with the journaling, it led to songwriting and poetry. I found that my mind could flow a lot easier when it was in song or poetry form. And so I'd often romanticize and fantasize about a world where I was loved and was receiving love. Because in that point in time, I was so afraid, I was so scared, and I didn't feel loved. My parents were really good in giving me a lot of opportunities in life. You know, I never once felt like I missed out on anything financially. But during that period in my life, all I wanted was to feel seen and to feel heard. You know, I can still feel the sadness that little Liam felt during that period. I felt alone. And the world inside my head was so chaotic it was so sad, there was so much depression and anxiety that there was no peace. From the start, from the get-go of one of the most formative periods of life, I really started on the back foot. I didn't feel like I was enough and that was reinforced, unfortunately, by people around me. It got so bad you know, besides developing anxiety and depression, that at night I would actually lucid dream. And the world that I was living in my day-to-day -day was filled with so much fear 
so much pain that I developed the skill of controlling my dreams, creating a fantasy world where I could escape my reality and be anything that I wanted to be. The repeated dream that I would always do was that I was essentially Superman and I would come in to the school and I would save the girl that I had a crush on at the time. It always would change. I would save her from this impending danger because I was strong, I was brave, had courage. All the qualities and traits that I didn't feel like I had growing up. Like I said before, I was so scared and so shy that I didn't think that I could have those qualities. I could only have them if I fantasized and dreamt about them. When Twilight got popular, this is funny to say, but I would also lose a dream about being abducted either by vampires or werewolves. <laughs> and depending if I was like Team Jacob or Team Edward at the time, I'd switch. I would be abducted by the werewolf or vampire family and then come back to high school all mysterious and sexy. <laughs> and all the girls are like, oh, my God, what's happened to Liam? <laughs> oh, it's hilarious thinking back to that and very embarrassing saying it out loud, but it's true. And that's just, you know, how sad I was. I just thought that life could only be enjoyed in this fantasy world. Heck, I even would play Sims all the time and I would again create a family where my crush was my partner. Again, a little bit cringe, but I would always fantasize about a world where I was receiving love, where I was respected, where people were kind to me, where people wanted me because during those years I didn't experience that at all. Not consistently in my home life and definitely not in school. Now, the turning point for me in this development of this relationship with myself was when I was 13, I had dislocated my shoulder when I was carrying my saxophone to school, I know. What an injury. I was walking up the driveway and it was quite slippery. It was a winter morning, so it was a bit dewy on the ground and it was a slight kind of incline to get to the car and I literally just slipped right, like my feet just got taken out right underneath me and instead of, you know, the saxophone getting crushed, I put my arm out and just straight-armed it and then, of course, naturally when you fall down like that, your shoulder's going to pop out. So I ran back inside, I punched it back in, and naturally a couple of days later I had to get physio. And the physiotherapist was like, hmm, yeah, it looks like you'll need to do some weight training to strengthen your shoulder back up. Now, growing up I'd always played sport. There was a lot of soccer, a lot of tennis, touch football, cricket, kind of anything really to keep me active. But I'd never lifted weights. You know, not a lot of 13-year-olds did, especially back then. And my mum was, you know, a little bit hesitant, but she followed the physio's instructions. And my dad, Bill, he had a 
pretty decent home gym setup, to be honest. It, you know, had a pull down, had a row, has barbell. It kind of had everything you needed to work out. And I'll always remember the first session. We'd worked out and, you know, the pump, you know, the iconic pump, so good. The endorphins, so good. It's the first time I felt a release. But the one thing that I really felt was strong and I felt in control, not just in this fantasy world that I created, but I felt in control in real life. And that was the first time that I experienced that in any point in my life. And so naturally, my obsession grew. I was working out three to four times a week, about three to four hours a night, also running as well. I was just chasing the dragon. I was chasing that feeling, you know, reflecting back. I really realized that anything that gave me a form of escape from reality, from life, from feeling, I would chase so, so hard. And so chase I did. And I won't lie, it was really nice in that point in my life to be able to build that external armor to make myself feel strong, to feel able to stand up for myself by being a big, strong, statured person. But inside, I was still so scared and honestly quite broken as well. Now, as I moved into ages of 14 to 15, my mental health had really started to crash. Even though I was building up this external armor, this barrier, inside of my mind, it was becoming more and more poisonous. I found as I became stronger on the outside, my resentment and anger for people grew. I would constantly be criticizing not only myself, but be criticizing everyone around me as well. Now, I'm not proud to say it, but during that period, I also started bullying myself. I would pick on weaker individuals, much like bullies did to me. And I know that the impact that I would have had on those particular people would be very similar to what I've experienced and what I'm talking about today. And, you know, it's one thing I really wish I could take back because I'm not proud of what I did, but take full accountability for it. You know, I felt that because I was strong on the outside and that I had this armor about me that I could make up for lost time, make people feel the pain that I felt. You know, why should I be sad all the time? Why should I be the only one depressed? You know, you always think, especially at that age, that you're the only one experiencing pain and sadness in the world. Because inside my mind, that's all I felt. That's all I thought the world was. 
you know, that internal voice inside my head was constantly shouting judgments, constantly wondering if I look good, constantly wondering what people were thinking and constantly criticizing others and having so much anger towards the world. My mental health had deteriorated so bad that I started to go to therapy. I saw psychiatrists, I saw hypnotherapists, saw general psychologists and counsellors as well. But the rage and anger that I had inside just grew. I tried running away from home, which was obviously very unsuccessful. Dad uh, threatened me that he's going to call the police, so I made my way back. I went on antidepressants, which made me feel like an absolute zombie. It like essentially just makes you feel numb, more numb than I really already felt. I felt so alone and I felt like no one understood me, including myself. There was one point where my family was so caught up in what they were doing, especially, you know, my sister struggled a lot during that point in time. And I had just had this massive mental breakdown. And I just remember being in my room and I was like, what is the point of this life? Like, why? Like, what, what good is there? I couldn't see a positive point of life. Jim, honestly, was keeping me alive at that point. And so I decided to get my school tie and I found a stable part on the blind, so like the kind of like the metal pole that would attach to it. And I wrapped the tie around my neck and tied it to the pole and I was going to choke myself. And mum walked in halfway through and, of course, freaked out and was like, oh, what's going on? Like, what's happening? You know, looking back, I believe that that was more so a cry out for help more than me trying to take my own life, but it got bad. I didn't, I didn't know how to express myself fully besides sadness, which would turn into anger and rage. This ego that I'd built up around needing to look good, needing others' approval, being bigger so then I'd be better than everyone, just really didn't serve me. You know, the voice inside my head was so broken. It was so reactional that I really didn't know who I was. I'd essentially become a fabricated version of myself because all I wanted to do was to be accepted by others around me. When I 
got to year 10, I had moved high schools. And to be honest, I was probably going to get kicked out of my first high school anyway. I had made a very interesting move by losing my virginity on school camp at a Christian school. And of course, instead of just keeping it under wraps, I told everyone that it had happened, like a very immature 15-year-old would. And so I think if I stayed there any longer, I was going to be expelled anyway. But my family had moved areas, and we had moved to a country town called Barrel. Now, for me, this was an opportunity to reinvent myself. You know, the first high school, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of anger and resentment. And I thought to myself, this is my time for change. I can be anything. I can be anyone. And so I moved to the school and I was the new guy. And, you know, between the ages of 15 and 16, I started to become quite good looking. You know, I was essentially a fully developed man at that point, you know, going through puberty at so young. But still inside, I was that very same scared, afraid little boy who didn't feel heard or loved. And on top of that, had a massive ego as well. So naturally, being the new guy in school, I got a lot of attention. It all went to my head. I didn't know what to do when you actually start being called attractive and people are flirting with you and think you're good looking. You know, the, my whole self-worth was based around what others thought of me. And it got to my head. You know, I thought I was better than everyone around me. It became very judgmental. But I was still very sensitive. And because of that, I was still, I wouldn't say the target of bullying, but I was definitely the target of some chirping. You know, people can sniff out when someone's insecure when they're reactional everyone loves to get a reaction out of someone and so that continued and my mental health surprise surprise had not improved and there was one summer leading into year 11 where it got so bad that I locked myself in my room for the whole of this all of the summer holidays like the whole six weeks I did not want to speak to anyone. I would stay in my room until I had to eat or work out. And I just had to ask myself the question, what the hell is going on with my life? It was the first time that I'd ever talked to myself in a way that there was two voices in the conversation instead of just one. It was like I had discovered a different consciousness. I liken it to essentially my conscious self and my subconscious self were chatting to each other. Don't know the science behind it, don't quiz me, but 
That's what it felt like at the time. And I just asked the question. I just asked, what, what is your life, Liam? What is going on? I would question my upbringing, question the world around me, and have these conversations like I was literally talking to a friend. And that was the first instance of me having a natural relationship with myself. It honestly felt like a breakthrough. It was like, wow, I can actually speak to myself. Now, let it be, at first, it was very toxic. It was like a toxic relationship, right? A little bit of good, a lot of bad. But it was necessary. I was able to make sense of things. I was able to open up. And after that summer, I gained a form of independence. I really had my back. I really thought at the time that only I knew how I felt and that it didn't matter if I didn't have anyone else, I had myself. Let it be very toxic. The critical part of myself was rife. I was still very submerged in obsessing over my looks, being a perfectionist, fearing what other people would think of me. But I knew that I had my back, that only I was there for me when times got really, really tough. Now, from that, it meant that my resentment towards the world, however, grew including to my family, my friends, my partners at the time. It made me think that no one understood me, that no one could understand me because I was so complex, I was so different to the world and everyone around me. It made me feel very isolated because I didn't know how to express myself I knew how to talk to myself, but I didn't know how to get the pain that was so stored deep within me out into the world. You know, reflecting on this period, I really discovered that I was very resilient, that I didn't give up that even though I felt so much pain, so much sadness, there were so many tears, so many moments where I just wanted to stop, that I was there for myself. I looked after myself in any way I could. Yeah, there was points where I fed the anxiety, I fed the depression, I fed the anger. But I kept myself okay. You know, learning the coping mechanisms of journaling, songwriting, of poetry allowed me to express myself. Let it be it was in a third-person viewing of my pain. You know, I'd essentially switched off a lot of my pain during that period. I didn't really feel a lot. I felt that it was easier for me to be numb than to feel anything at all. 
even lucid dreaming had helped me too. And the best part was developing the habit of going to the gym. I learned so much about discipline, so much about accountability. It really gave me an identity during that period of time. That no matter how bad life got, I was working on myself. I was making myself stronger, even if it was on the outside. Even if I did feel sad and I felt chaotic on the inside, my outside world was getting stronger and that was the start. It's amazing when you reflect back on your childhood and you realize how much you shut out. I've forgotten a lot of the stuff that I've spoken about today. And it's been a very intense journey in listening back, or looking back, I should say, and really delving deep. For anyone who listened to the podcast today and resonated with some of the points I talked about, I just want to really reiterate before I finish up today that growing up as a teenager, as a young kid, is really hard. You're trying to figure everything out. You're trying to discover who you are. You're trying to navigate being attracted to others. You're trying to figure life. What is life? You're trying to give it all meaning. The fact that you got through your adolescent years is an achievement within itself. You know, we end up with some form of, I call them scars. We end up with some form of pain through growing up. And that's okay. You know, I haven't met anyone in my life that doesn't have some form of trouble, some form of sadness, some form of trauma, I guess you could call it. Getting through those formative years takes a lot of bravery, a lot of courage. And for anyone who had to do it alone, I feel you. And I understand. And I just want you to know how brave and how awesome you are for doing so. Alright guys, that is the end of the first part of developing a relationship with myself. I just want to say thank you so much for joining in and listening today. It's been awesome being able to share my story, especially through my early adolescent years. It's a very difficult part of my life and I hope it gave some good insight into my journey of developing a relationship with myself. I'm really looking forward to sharing the next part, which will be all about my early adulthood and early 20s. They are some very interesting years of my life and I'm really looking forward to the next part where I share that all with you. As always, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends leave some feedback. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode and I'm looking forward to the next one.
Peace.